You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God, mind control, the last days, higher dimensions, unity, the power of faith, discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com. Folks, I am back from vacation. I went on vacation last week. There was no Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall program. I know. You guys missed me. I missed you, too. Hey, we're back, and, you know, I have an upcoming trip. I'll be going to Australia in July. I'm going to be making provisions to actually continue to run Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall while I'm gone. What that means is that I'm going to have to plan a little bit ahead so that I have extra programs prepared before I leave. But that's the plan. So for those of you that are like, hmm, Dan Duvall's taking a vacation, then he's going to Australia are we really going to get gypped this summer with discovering the truth with Dan Duvall lapses and voids? Uh, well, I don't think so. I think that we can make it happen. So, that is news for you. I'm really excited. You know, God is doing so many things. My schedule is really getting rough, guys. I'm like looking at it. I'm like, man, do I even have like a free weekend between now and September? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but, you know, the, the cool thing is that God, God is doing some awesome things. And we're, we're, we're just part of it, you know, and we're watching him grow all of the uh, the endeavors and exploits that we are setting our hands to. You know, we are running the Fireplace Church. Folks, we want to invite you to join us every Friday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time for a revolutionary internet-based ministry service. There's like literally nothing else out there like it. It 
is a produced worship service. We have a vision casting segment followed by a message. I'm not the only preacher. By the way, we have guest ministers like Dr. Preston Bailey, who will be speaking this Friday on a message called Demystifying Dissociation Part 2. In addition to that, after the service is over, built in as part of the ministry experience, you will be able to press a button and find yourself in a moderated discussion group with other people from around the world that are like-minded. Folks, there are a lot of you that wrote in and you're saying, I don't have any community, can't find it, I need it. Where can I go to church to find people that talk about what you talk about, Dan Duvall? Do you have a local place in my area of South Carolina or Georgia or Florida or Wisconsin or Delaware or Tahiti? I mean, we have listeners all over the place. I don't have a network that's that big, guys. You know, like we get these emails like, well, do you know? I don't. I don't. I mean, I do know some people here, there, and in, in a few places, but... Um, we don't have some kind of global network working on here. So what are we doing to help people find community? We built it. We called it the fireplacechurch.org. Visit us. Hang out with us. And, you know, Friday nights really are kind of rough for you. You know, hang in there because in a little while, probably as soon as August rolls around, we're going to be opening up a second service on Sunday evening. So we'll have Friday evening, Sunday evening. And that way, for those of you that really, you know, struggle to get to that Friday evening uh, service, there'll be something else for you. And so we're looking forward to that. We, we just want to get the word out, create this platform for community, get people equipped. Folks, we're about building the kingdom of God here at Bride Ministries. Now, in addition to that, I have books out, Kingdom Government, The Promise of Sheep Nations, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions in the Spirit Realm. You could also get Noah's Ark in the end of the days. Look, those books are very deep. They're going to stretch you. You know, pick them up if you haven't read them already. We have discipleship, and we finished the last round of discipleship the week before I left for vacation. And many of you are already looking forward to the next round. When is the next round? Well, we're because of my trip to Australia, probably going to delay that next round until August. And so I think what we'll end up doing, though, is in the next couple of weeks, we'll be actually sending out the uh, an email where you can sign up for classes, the discipleship course, in August, but you'll be able to sign up early, like at the very beginning of July, get your spot, make sure you have one. Um, we have hundreds of people on our waiting list just for the discipleship. I mean, it's just amazing how many people are wanting to get on board with this and get equipped and get mentored through the Word of God to be more effective in their Christianity. We have four classes, Grace in Christ, the Kingdom, and Spiritual Warfare. Uh, I have a, another teacher or teachers that do Grace and in Christ for us, and I'm still personally teaching the Kingdom and Spiritual Warfare, and it's working out really good that way because, well, my hands are a bit more free and the more things I'm not doing personally, the better. Because, frankly, I'm finding myself more and more in this position where I am a vision caster. I am a uh, 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 the, the, the primary driving force behind launching in this direction or that direction. Or the, but I can't do all the work day in and day out for the things I'm launching. And so we're, we're really excited about the, this. Well, it's called creating space. I'm actually creating space for many of you that are uh, reaching out and saying, we'd like to get on board. Well, the more things I launch, the more space I create, and the more of you are actually able to get on board and participate in some of the stuff we're doing, which 
is, I think, kingdom growth. So, you know, we have so many things going on at Bride Ministries. Of course, we are helping survivors. And folks, you know, when you sow into Bride Ministries financially, you're sowing into the lives of people like Nikki, my administrative assistant, who's going to be talking to you today about a lot of things you may not know anything about. She's a survivor of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control projects, just like many of the other guests that we have brought on our program to talk about what they have received back in so far as memories, what they know, what they have um, witnessed and Many of you that listen to this program do so because God has opened your eyes. You're looking for answers and you're finding them from the work that we are doing and the lives that are getting redeemed because Bride Ministries exist and because you are supporting us. So I just invite you to continue. You know, you can donate to us at bridemovement.com or thefireplacechurch.org. Both of those are parts of or elements of Bride Ministries. And... Uh, could help us to continue to support the survivors that we're helping. We're, we're not just helping a couple anymore. We're helping a number of survivors. And guess what? We have a very long list. It's just getting longer all the time of survivors that are waiting for help. And you know what? We A lot of them we can't help now simply because we don't have the budget to do it. Um, but we are also investing weekly in executing the Fireplace Church um, we invest in this program, Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Um, we are now, in, we in, and we are investing in different directions. I mean, the more you grow, the more you have to invest. Anyway, all I'm saying is, folks, the more we raise, the more we are able to do. And it is people and lives like the individual you'll be listening to today that display or reflect what is actually happening at Bride Ministries and in this ministry field. So with that said, I don't want to delay this any longer. Folks, we're going to be back with my administrative assistant in just a minute. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. We'll be right back. Folks, you're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, and I am back with a very, very special individual. Now, many of you that have written into our ministry have had the opportunity to dialogue or receive an email from Nikki, my administrative assistant. And now I'll tell you what, she does a great job. Folks, she is just really, really wonderful. 
at communicating on behalf of Bride Ministries and uh, navigating through all the you know wonderful things we have her doing, like class signups and thank you letters for those of you that support us financially. We you know we want you to know that we appreciate you. And Nikki, man, she just tells it like it is. And you know what? She also happens to be one of the more fascinating individuals on the planet as a survivor of satanic ritual abuse and government-sponsored mind control agendas. It's just incredible to uh, let Nikki just talk. <laughs> and we realized that the last time I had her on. And after she came on, guess what? I felt like she was more popular than me. <laughs> so many people <laughs> wrote in just to say, Nikki, <laughs> you're awesome. Because she is, folks. And, you know, I said, we have to have her back. We're going to do some more talking with my administrative assistant, Nikki, because she has so much to say. She's seen a lot of things, she knows a lot of things. And her, you know, boots on the ground experience with things in the spirit realm is just mm, so accurate so and she has a really really wonderful way of communicating these things that make it understandable for outsiders and so nikki i just want to thank you for joining me again on discovering the truth with dan duvall thank you so much daniel i am looking forward to it <clears throat> yeah well me too nikki and you know we've been working together now for a while and with every week we are getting more and more elements and components of your story uh more and more pieces of information understanding of things you've been involved with now i want to get started in this program on, on this question you know the way dissociation manifests for people is not always the same and the question is, well, what does it look like if it doesn't always look the same? Now, some of you uh, are, are familiar with the idea of alters, and, and what is that? Well, when a person goes through a great degree of trauma, particularly beginning at a young age, the mind does this thing to protect itself. It's called dissociating. So as a person learns to dissociate to protect themselves from pain and trauma, uh, the result can be alternate personality states it, these are fragments of the soul and heart and sometimes even the spirit depending on how deep that trauma goes well when a person begins to live life as a survivor or not begins but as they live life as a survivor throughout their life different parts can begin to come up and go down uh, manifest their opinions or just themselves as full persons and this will cause an individual to do what we call switching and for many of you that have followed our conversation on this because we have done so many podcasts on what mind control is what dissociation is how it works a lot of you have the idea in your head that a person can you know, say have a personality that's named Fred, but also have another personality named Jane. And Jane can come to the surface and be out and be talking in Fred's body, but be Jane. Uh, we did an interview with a survivor named Robert Van Dryce Mitchell. And the first interview I did with him, I actually did with one of his alters named Lauren. And those of you that are listening to this can go back and find that on our YouTube channel or in our archives. It was a different personality that did his first interview, and then in future interviews, it was him, Robert. And so, Nikki, in your case, it isn't 
quite as pronounced. And I think this is really important to talk about because some people, I think they can hear this conversation and get a bit confused because they may say, well, I understand that that's how this works for some people, but it doesn't really feel like that's the way it works for me. But I think I have some of the same problems. And you know, that's an okay conclusion. Nikki, you have what we're describing as shell programming. It's how your dissociation kind of plays out. Can you take some time and talk about that? Yeah, definitely, Daniel. And, um, you know, I consider it to be like a great gift and a great curse at the same time. Um, The gift part comes in because it allows me to, you know, overall look better to society. I, I function well. I don't um, come undone. I look well put together. Um, but the downside to that is when it comes time to really needing to go to some deeper painful places, I can't get past that wall, which is the face of functionality. And so everything is behind that shell and it's hard to get to. So it has served me well, but I honestly would like to take it down. Right. We've been working on that. Now, when you are engaging parts of you, it's it's very rare that you will actually, what we call, switch. Mm-hmm. Instead, what is it like? Um, usually, I will, um, at, well, at times, I can um, actually see uh, the image of a different person that I know is a part of me. Um, sometimes I can hear a distant thought, sort of like there there are vague thoughts, the kind that we have when we go through a drive-through and we're thinking, gosh, do I want the cheeseburger or do I want the chicken? And it's just kind of there, and it's not really doing much. And then there are voices that are loud, and these voices are just as loud as the voices that are on the outside, just like you and I speaking right now. And this is, you know, not to get off subject, but this is where <clears throat> sometimes people have been misdiagnosed as having schizophrenia because they hear voices telling them what to do. And a good question I always ask is, are your voices on the inside or on the outside? Um, because people who um, have parts of themselves hear the voices on the inside. I'm not saying that someone who has schizophrenia cannot hear a voice on the inside, but people who, who do have parts can literally hear loud voices on the inside. I've heard my name be called. I mean, where it, it, it starts me like, huh? Nikki or Nick um, or hey, Nick. Um, and it can be a male voice, female voice. It can come from different places in my head, like maybe the back lower left quadrant or right above my ear. Um, and I think that where the voice comes from is tied to where you know, a particular part resides or whatever it is. Um, sometimes I can hear conversations going on. and But I only it's like I only come to them as they're winding up. It's like it's been going on, but somehow I wasn't able to hear it. And now I'm catching on and I'm going, hey, what's that about? But as I'm hearing, it's being wiped away from my mind. So if you imagine a sentence being spelled out and you're reading it in a book, as you go past each word, someone is erasing it behind you and you're trying to hold on to it and it's erasing it. Move forward because you want to get the next word. And by the time you get to the period, it's all gone and you're going, oh my gosh, I have nothing. But you know you heard something. And that's something very frustrating. It's, you know, having it erased right behind you. 
Um, I like hearing voices, to be honest with you. When it's loud, it doesn't happen very often. Um, I know people who hear loud voices all the time, and they're saying, no, it's horrible, it keeps them up, and it's torture. So, you know, I wouldn't want that. But it would make communication easier if I could hear more loudly as opposed to go, well, I think kind of this, you know. It's... it's, uh, Folks, um, we're talking about dissociation. When a part of a person develops its own identity it has its own voice on the inside uh, some people think the voices in the head is the weirdest thing on the planet and you just need to be confined to a mental institution that couldn't be farther from the truth the reality is that um, the those that have been through horrific trauma will often have more problems if they try to ignore the voices that are on the inside because Many times those are the same voices that are crying out for help and healing and hope. And uh, one of the greatest breakthroughs I, I find for people is when they begin not only to identify with the voices that are inside of them, which is them, and that's the thing, um, but they stop rejecting them. Because, you know, the, the interesting thing is this idea of self-rejection is so deeply rooted in the uh, conversation on on dissociation because people are told by society you have to reject any kind of voice in your head because that makes you crazy. It doesn't make you crazy. It makes you a survivor. Um, when that voice is rejected, that is self-rejection. And that is a foothold for the devil to bully you in your life. Those parts that are looking for help and hope, they need to be heard. So their story, their information, it can be communicated and they can find healing therefore the person holistically finds healing um i i just need to stop and say some of these things sometimes because people you hear a survivor talking like oh that's really weird well mm, when you begin to understand how people survive horrible things this whole thing makes a lot of sense it's actually a, a conversation on a healing journey now nikki in the last interview we had with you we got into a lot of various things that you had seen experienced we talked about uh getting your spirit free we talked about abaddon we talked about this crazy thing called checkerboard i mean but we didn't get much into actual programming actual things you remember being done to you as you were growing up. And we even got a few people communicating with us like, well, can we get a little bit more of that? Like, Nikki, what do you remember? Now, they did certain types of trainings with you, Nikki. And one of them involved uh, choice, uh, you, you making selections on a table. Can you talk a little bit about that element of programming? Yeah, I can, Daniel. Um, I was about... Gosh, I'm going to say seven is coming to mind. So that's probably the age range. And there was a room, <clears throat> and this happened more than once, um, and there are banquet tables. And um, they were, you know, spread out to where they made a large circle. And the tables weren't touching. There was a little bit of gap between them, but they made a circle. And the children were in the middle. And it was a mixture of boys and girls. Um, there were not a lot of us, I would say, maybe five, no more than eight, okay? Like five to eight of us, maybe four to eight, I don't know. And there were maybe like 
maybe like 10 to 12 tables. So if you can imagine banquet tables spread out to make a circle that large. And <clears throat> there were people with uh, adults with lab coats, a couple of them standing back um, watching. And at each table would be at least one person sitting. Um, usually a female was sitting at the table alone. Um, occasionally a man would also be sitting with her, but typically it was a female. And um, so I don't know if they do a buzzer or whatever it was, but start choosing. So you'd have to go, and you could go to any table that you wanted. There was no particular order. And you'd go up to that table, and um, there may be a question there, like what is, define this, or where is that, or I, I don't know what, it, you know, I can't recall what it was, and you'd give an answer. And you'd get it right, or you'd get it wrong. Um, it could be something as simple as, do you want what's in the left-hand box, or do you want what's in the right-hand box? And, you know, you got this 50-50 shot. Or um, you might go up there, and it just might be bad altogether. There is no choice. So it was scary and super exciting because the rewards were pretty cool, but when you lost, the consequences were very harsh and usually quite painful. So it was like, ugh, you know, it was a real, it was a real charge. And um, you couldn't just stop with one table. I don't know how much time they allocated for this, but you would then just go from table to table in any order, just continuing this course, and the people would watch how you respond. How do you handle the consequences of your actions? And part of <clears throat> what this was about, in my opinion, is from the very beginning, um, all the responsibility is on you as the child. So although you know that it would be at great cost to you to say, I am not going to choose a, ta a table, um, you still do choose. And so you make a choice. You understand that if you don't, there's a consequence, and that if you do move forward, that you may have a reward. So you make a choice, and you choose a table. You go to a table, and you choose right or left, and you could refuse, and of course there would be a consequence to refusing. So you make a choice, and you choose to move forward, and you choose right or left. And maybe you choose a reward. You make a right choice, or maybe you make a bad choice. And sometimes with these choices, you get to choose what your punishment was, so that's part of it too. It's like, okay, you lost, now what do you want? So you get to choose what's going to happen to you as well. So what it was saying is, you know, none of the responsibility was on the adults and the people running it. All responsibility was yours. Um, and, um, you know, that played out in my home life. I don't know if we're going to discuss that, Daniel. If you want to hear about it, we can talk about it. But that ended up being a major factor in my play life at home <clears throat> with my sister and friends um, mm -hmm. about, you know, that. I mean, that was scary and exciting. I don't know why it was so exciting. It was just this rush of, like, is it going to be really painful or is it going to be great? I, I have no idea why that would even be appealing, but mm. it was. Yeah. It was, and, and this is the thing. What, what I hear you telling is that they're, they're training you guys to always place all responsibility and all blame on yourself. Exactly. Because you make the choices all the way. Oh, my. And you end up in your mind training yourself to exempt the tormentors and the abusers from all responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, 
sadistic when you think about it and the agenda of that and how that would play out in a person's life, you know, in in many ways. Now, take a minute and, and, and talk about how this played out in your play life. Because, yeah, you said you were, you know, eight years old. Go yeah. ahead. So, yeah, um, this was going on when I was like seven or so. So between the ages of like seven to ten, um, I have a sister who is a little bit less than two years younger than me. So, but we can say two years just to make it safe. And she was my personal experiment. Now, I don't know if um, I was told to take this out on her or I was just acting out. But um, there was her and a neighbor girl. And the neighbor girl was uh, my sister's age as well. So if I was, let's say, eight, they were both six. So I would set up this scenario where um, it would be, it's funny how we put it in such childlike terms. And one of the scenarios we would do, would I'd have a chair, and each one of them would sit in a chair. And um, I would ask them, do you believe that you cannot laugh no matter what? And they would say, well, yeah, I believe that. And so they would, okay. And then I would do everything I could to make them laugh. And if they did, then they failed. Um, another one would be running. You have to run. My parents' house was built where the whole downstairs was a circle. So room to room, the whole basement had a circular. They have to run. And I put all kinds of obstacles. I might stick my foot out and trip them. So they failed. And what they did when they failed is there was a list that we called tortures. There were six of them. And they had names. There was experience and appearance, um, armadare, armistare, um, nose wall, eeny moo moo. It doesn't sound childish. Those are the six tortures. And they got to choose which one that they wanted. And then I got to do these tortures to them. And um, they accepted them readily. It was like, well, you made a choice. You know, you chose to participate in this game. It wasn't, yeah, but you would have made me feel like a big loser if I didn't. Well, you still chose to. So my sister learned this really well. She chose it. She's this, and I can just see her, mm, I'll take this one. We still laugh about it because she's still like, well, okay, let's see what I want here. And there was a Bugs Bunny cartoon that we loved where, and I think we got part of the idea from that, where the cat and I don't know if it was a dog, but were doing this game, and when he lost, he had to spin a wheel, and the wheel would tell him what he was going to get. And one of them was called the thinker, and this stone would be, or concrete, be poured over him, and he'd be sitting in a position of the statue, the thinker, with his finger on his head, and he'd be going like, not the thinker, not the thinker. So that was a joke my whole life. No, Nick, not the thinker. And we'd laugh, but um, I would... Uh, put them through all sorts of exercises. They would, um, we had a swing set that my dad built out of wood, so it was really big. It wasn't some little swing set, and it had ropes for it, you know, the skinny nylon ropes. So I would take and twist the swing as high above my head, even to where I had to kind of jump up to keep it twisting. Of course, it's cutting off all circulation in my sister's legs and our friends. They got blue legs, and they're, you know, I don't know how far in the air. And then I let go and just send them. And I mean, they it's terrible. They're screaming the whole time. I shouldn't laugh. Only I'm only laughing. I want everybody to know my sister would laugh. So mm. and we do laugh. So we we have an understanding. Anyway, and uh, when they were done, I would yell, "Run, run, run!" And they'd have to run all the way to the back of the field. And if they would fall, I'd be, you know, yelling at them like a drill sergeant, get up, you loser, you whoever you are, get up, get up. 
But if they got up, I would kick them down with my foot at oh the my. same time. Don't you get up? Get up. You know, it was this whole mixed message, and we would play these games and just spend all afternoon doing those things and other types of military exercises. And um, we, I'll just put this out here right now. My sister and I had a very, very close relationship, and um, I have apologized to her numerously, numerous times, I should say, for the things like that that happened. But um, we went through things together, and we kind of move as one unit. So everything is good between me and her. And um, I just want to make that clear. Well, you know, and, and praise God for that. Uh, I, I think it's really relevant that you share this, though, because here's the thing. When, when, when um, we look at situations or the way children act, uh, acting out is a huge clue as to what a child may be getting put through that no one knows about. Mm-hmm. And that was certainly true in your experience. I, I doubt that you would have invented this game had you not been getting subjected to <clears throat> program. No, it's just way too, it's way too complicated. I thought about that. It's way too complicated to try to put that into my sister's brain and my friend's brain when they're six and I'm eight and to put in this full concept of full responsibility and then that they accept that and actually will choose their torture at the end knowing that they earned it and they actually have the freedom to choose the one they want and since they chose it they can't complain because they made the choice of the one they wanted so from the very beginning to the very end it's all about their choice folks this is this is an illustration when we talk about programming what is programming you know they they do it in different ways this is one of the ways it's actually done this way or it was at least at one time um programming can also be done with scripts it can be done with high technologies including uh frequencies and ways but this this is the idea you are uh training a person to think act a certain way or parts of them. Now, Nikki, there was other things that they had you do. One of them involved essentially what was to you a fun house, but I, I'm going to put that in quote uh, fun house. Right. It's not really right. that much fun. <clears throat> no, it's not at all. What, what was that? Okay. <clears throat> this was another good example of seeing how well does this young child work under pressure and, um, extreme like even duress um they put you in there you have to go through it and there are many doors you can choose i mean um doors rooms um there are stairs you can choose that can sometimes end maybe there's a smaller door you can crawl through at the top of the stair again it comes down to every choice is yours um there might be something really horrible in there and it might hurt you um there might not be you might have to um you know complete a task to get out of that room um, and it might be pitch dark at the same time with noise I mean it could be as something as simple looking from an adult perspective there could be since it's pitch dark you know other adults around there making those noises whatever it may be and you're trying to complete a task in the middle of the room to get some lock undone or who knows what and to you it sounds like monsters or wild animals or whatever um, you know you have that um, trapdoors um, Definitely people are in there to um, assault you. So there are also 
adults in there who will assault you, and um, you at times would have or would have to defend yourself against an adult. Um, I don't think that they were going all out on us that small, but they wanted to see what your sense of will was. I mean, they didn't want you to end up crying in the corner. I mean, that was not the goal. The goal was to see this child power through this child. There'd be a moment where you'd be frozen against a wall thinking, okay, I don't think I can move any further. And you're not breathing, your mouth's open, your eyes are wide, and you're going, but you know you can't stay in that corner. So you muster the courage to keep going. And that's what they're looking for. They don't want a bunch of screaming. They want someone who can quietly uh, act under pressure. And um, that, and they increase the pressure to see just how much you can take. And because um, they want someone who can really be unmoved um, by things and to be able to act in crisis, you know. And so that's a way to do it. And to put away fear. They want you to master fear. And so you have to master fear to get out of there. And if you, you know, and, or I should say not master fear, but learn how to dissociate from fear. Um, so that it doesn't control you. Mm. And I think that's where, if I can be honest, I developed a real um, like hunger for fear-based things, things that are scary. I've always been attached to that, and there have been times in my life where I've you know tried to let go of it, and I've you know done better than other times. But like I talked about a haunted house. I mean, you know, if I get out of that haunted house and I truly saw it. I might have died in there, and then I just felt like I won the lottery. It was like the highlight of my life. It's like I actually thought I was going to die in there, and it was like, well, yeah, you know, like I'll pay $100 for that. Um, you know, I don't want people going boo and all this kind of stuff. Um, there's a thing in me, like they had the scare tactics like on television. I was just always like wishing one of my friends would sign me up for that. I so wanted to be a victim on scare tactics. I was just like, please, somebody put me on scare tactics because just the rush of thinking I was going to die and them waiting to see what my reaction was and how I responded would just be like the best. I'd be like, oh, this is the best birthday ever. So, you know, that's a place in me that obviously needs healing but thrives on that whole fear thing. Well, and see... What you're illustrating, Nikki, is how what people have been subjected through to via programming um, induced trauma frames interests in their adult life mm-hmm. that otherwise may not really make sense to another person. Why do you mm-hmm. like doing that? Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but... This is it, 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 you, you know your story illustrates so many things. Now, you've had some encounters with, well, at least one guy relatively well known. I want to let you talk about that for a little bit. And uh, you're not the only survivor I've worked with that have had encounters with this person. His name mm-hmm. is Anton Lavey. Mm-hmm. And and we talked before this, and you said you know you don't mind talking openly about this part of your story, what you remember. So what do you remember about uh, him and your interactions with this guy? Okay. Um, Let's see. Well, um, there are a few things that are literally just uh, snapshot photos, but the snapshot photos, you can tell what the picture is. Like, I'll tell you one example 
Um, I'm sitting in a chair, and um, he leans over. He's got a tray, and um, it's got little, like, shot glasses on there with fire on it. And he's offering me one, and he has on a, uh, like, a, a skull cap with little horns on it. Um, and um, they're a black. He comes in the side. I guess it's funny. This is just a picture, but I knew this part. He came from the left-hand side of the room from behind a black curtain, and it was like there was curtains all over the walls. Um, but he came in through a curtain, came in, and he had that, and he wanted me to take it. And it's just a snapshot. That's it. I'm assuming that's some sort of unholy mass or something. I couldn't tell you because it's just that was it. But I've got that. Um, I have a longer, and I will say that this is somewhat graphic, but I think it's important, you know. So mm-hmm. um, we'll put it out there. And, um, Daniel, you can feel free to edit it out. So if you guys hear one that's boring, you know Daniel took it out. Well, oh, you can take, you'll want to take just, that out. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're just going to call this a trigger warning. If okay. you have small children around or you are yeah. just very, very sensitive at this point, you might want to fast forward a couple minutes. Go ahead, Nikki. Tell it how it was. How this started is there is a green, grassy area. And um, it's very hilly. It actually has a sense of being mountainous. Um, It's very rural, lots of really big trees, but we were in an open sort of area. And um, I believe I mentioned that um, my sister was there. Um, And I I could tell how old I was based on how old she was. And she looked to be about four, so that would make me six. And there were about... I'm going to say about 12 children there, and they varied in ages from probably my sister was probably the youngest at four, and the kids looked to be maybe 11. I mean, when you're eight, everybody looks huge. I mean, six. I would have been six, so everybody looks big. So I'm going to say maybe like 11. I don't know. It was a mix of male and female, and we were sitting down on the ground on our knees, so like where, you know, you put your knees to the ground and you sit on your calves, you know, I think I described that well. And we were, there were like three rows of us. And I was like in the middle row because I was a little bit taller than my sister. This is on the right-hand side. Over probably about, I'm going to say, four feet in front of us and about eight feet to the left of us um, were two crosses in the ground. Um, and they had people on them. Um, and uh, Anton LaVey was wearing this black cloak. Um, he did not have a hood over his head. It was just down, but he had a black robe on, and he had a sword. And um, the first cross, the one that was closest to us, had this young man on it, and his head was hanging down. He had kind of a little bit of shaggy hair. Um, he was a young man. Um, I would say... He looked to be no older than his early 30s, you know, Um, but he could have been mid-20s, but he was naked, and um, Anton LaVey took the sword, and he put it through his side. Well, the guy was alive, because when he did that, he, he didn't scream, but his head kind of jerked up, and he started, like, urinating like crazy. Um, and that was scary. Um, 
and then he went over to the woman and the whole time he's giving us a lesson but I don't recall what he's saying but he's speaking very calmly very um, clearly um, with a monotone uh, voice which that's a way to really put things into someone's subconscious you kind of put them in a in an altered state that way so he was talking that way and he went over to the cross that had the female on it and she was young she could have been about 15 years old I really could not tell you you know again I was a child I'm just looking at it from my adult eyes and she had dark hair that hung over her face she was fully pregnant I mean fully pregnant and her head was hanging down and he started talking about God and how um, Jesus was dead before he ever came, how um, there was no life there. and um, But it was longer what he was saying, and it was more eloquent than what I just said. And then he took with that sword, he slashed her belly open, and the baby fell out in, in the sack on the ground. And um, she didn't move, so she must have been dead already or heavily sedated. I'm really glad she didn't move. But and the baby fell out, and she's like, "See, he is dead." So obviously, looking back, they must have been like a Mary Joseph sort of representation. But he was telling us that Jesus was dead; there was no life in him. And then he came back over to us, and he said, "So who? I don't remember his words exactly. I don't think he said who believes what I just said, but basically, who is with me or whatever." And um, I was over on the left-hand side. In fact, I think I was the very end person in my row, so I was closest to the stuff that went down. And I did not want him to have any doubts that I did not believe. Now, I didn't believe, but, you know, when you see something like that, you do not want to be questioned. So I remember raising my right hand, taking a vow, I believe, I believe, I believe everything. You know, I just was... Yeah, I was all in, and um, I he stopped. Other children were nodding their assent, or I believe, you know, making it calm, and I made a big deal out of it, out of my fear. And he stopped, and he turned over his shoulder, and he looked at me, and I was like, oh, no, you do not want that kind of attention. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, I drew too much attention to myself. I should have been cool, and I didn't, I wasn't cool. And he just glared at me for what felt like a year, which is probably more like a second and a half. But basically, it meant you overdid it, girl. And um, there is a lesson to be learned. And I don't know any survivor that has not mastered knowing when to keep their mouth shut and knowing just how much emotion to show. And at that point, obviously, I didn't learn that yet, but that helped me learn that so that was that was one full experience i don't know what happened that led me there and i don't know what happened after that you know folks this is the kind of thing that someone like me i'm going to hear this and stories worse than this throughout the week every week day after day um, the amount of torment and torture and trauma that's been applied to people that have been tied up to these agendas is just the, the human mind. You don't really even want to go there. Uh, actually, I think Nikki did a really great job of <laughs> moderating just how graphic um, her descriptions were. This is just a, the reality of the situation. You know, one of the things that I believe is that God needs the church to stop being fake and pretending like this isn't exactly 
what the body of Christ is up against. You know, we are the people that are responsible to be the hands and feet of Jesus to bring healing to those that have suffered like this. You can't be afraid of this kind of information if you're going to go to the front lines, period. Um, and, the, you know, I just want to say, if you've been through it and you are on your own healing journey, yeah, it's okay to know that certain things are going to trigger you and you need to heal before you can, you know, fully engage certain types of information. I'm not putting any condemnation on that. What I am saying is... Um, if you send us emails saying, Dan Duvall, why did you put that on your show? Why did you let Nikki um, say that? I'll have Nikki personally forward those emails to me so I can tell you the same thing I'm telling you right now. Because it's our responsibility as Christians to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to engage this conversation and bring healing to people. And um, you have to understand, this is being done to children. The children, little children. Um, to train them in the ways of, of darkness. Now, this is really interesting, and I think this kind of parlays, Nikki, and into themes that will continue to plague a person throughout their lives, particularly when it comes to the subject of Jesus Christ. Because there's one thing the powers of darkness know, is that the name of Jesus is the name above every name. At his name, every knee must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. They know that Jesus is the solution to the problems that they create. And so they go out of their way in order to create a distrust, a dislike, and um, a false view of God in survivors. They do it on purpose. And this is played out in your life. And what I call them, I just call them fake Jesuses, fake Jesus mm -hmm. programming. The idea that a false concept of Jesus enters a person's mind and it becomes personified usually by demons who masquerade within a person's inner world or healing journey as Jesus, but they don't do anything good. As a matter of fact, they lead astray. They give bad information. They uh, give the person insights that are very destructive to their own identity. They tell the person things like, I don't even like you, you know, and the person thinks it's actually Jesus. And it stems from experiences like this and other types of what I would call fake Jesus programming. They're training children to think nothing or very little about God. Now, I, w I want to take a little bit of time here because this is so prevalent in many of the survivors I work with. It's this fake Jesus element. Now, when I talk about fake Jesus and how that has influenced your healing journey, can you uh, tell us a, a few examples of how engaging a fake Jesus in your journey has created conflict for you or, you know, and, and if we're working together, then uh, for me, because I have to step in and deal with the fake Jesus. Can, can you just talk about that for a little bit? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I was telling uh, Daniel earlier that I didn't have a problem with fake Jesus until he said, do you have a problem with fake Jesus? And all of a sudden I noticed all these fake Jesuses and we kind of laughed and he said, well, they were there. You just didn't, <laughs> just weren't seeing them before. And it's like, oh, I, part of me felt like I wish he had never even told me that they were. Um, it's hard because um, they fit uh, many of the um, images or the iconography that we would expect to see, you know, the white robe, the beard, you know, all of these things that, you know, you could ask any 
child who's been to church draw Jesus and everybody can put him in a robe and a beard. I mean, you know, it's just, and so in our mind, when we want to connect with Jesus, anything that kind of comes and looks in that form or has any light on it, you know, it it can be really confusing. And it's just through a series of questions that will allow you to really find out and discern whether this is the true Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, just ask them, are you the true Lord Jesus Christ? From my understanding, they cannot lie when you put it on to them like that, can they, Daniel? I mean, say, I am the true Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it, it gets really, really interesting. And, I mean, I've done different things, you know, in, in an attempt to resolve whether or not a, a, a Jesus that shows up is actually the true Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is the thing, right? The Bible says that God is ever-present. You know, he is the ever-present help in time of need. You know, some people think that Jesus isn't going to get personally involved in an individual's healing journey. Well, mm-hmm. then what is he doing? Uh, well, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, but he's also omnipresent. There's literally no argument that makes any sense for why Jesus, who calls himself the wonderful counselor, would not be involved in the counseling of us. And so many times this, this is very helpful for people when they are able to encounter him um, in their own life, in their own prayer times, in, their, in what we would call for survivors their own internal world, or when, when you're doing work in the spirit realm and he, he can be there. But sometimes, um, particularly when a survivor has you know gone through a lot of this fake Jesus programming, what happens is you ask the true Lord Jesus to show up the first person to arrive is the counterfeit. I've asked survivors, well, why don't you look at his eyes and tell me what you see? And sometimes they'll say, well, his eyes are completely black. Hmm. Not the real Jesus. Um, I've had other survivors, you know, I ask them, well, what is he doing? Well, he's scolding me. He's molesting my part. Not the real Jesus. Uh, and, you know, some, some of this has happened with you, Nikki, and it's, um, it, 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 it's, it's a real problem. And the reason why I bring it up is because he's, when I work with individuals, I realize that not everything that shows up is what you want it to be. If I pray to God and I say, Lord Jesus, can you be present for this person and help them go through this? Uh, next phase of their healing journey. I don't ever trust that who shows up is the real Lord Jesus or Yeshua because there are fake Yeshuas too um, for all of the Hebrew roots folks out there. there. There's, there has to be a certain element of distrust on the part of the individual like me or whoever happens to be helping a survivor because this is such a prevalent problem. And it, it, there have been times where, you know, I, I know people have worked with fake Jesuses thinking they're working with the real Jesus. And the, the, the problem is that at the end of the day, things are fruitless. The revelation is fraudulent and wrong. And no real healing is manifesting, even though there's someone showing up pretending to be God and pretending to lead a person into a certain direction. It has to be challenged. L- making the survivor look at the eyes and tell you what t- color the eyes are is very effective. I also recommend pouring living water on the head or offering the, the Jesus that shows up living water to drink. Um, because I'll tell you what, if it's a demon, 
that living water getting poured on its head will reveal its true identity. It melts the costume. Um, Nikki, is there anything else you wanted to, to kind of say from certain things you've seen? Um, well, I was just going to say, you know, there have been times where Jesus has come for me, and then that is always easier. And just, I always, oh, I don't ask him to come too often because I'm just, you know, I feel like it adds confusion for me to figure out if it's a real Jesus or not. I talk to the Holy Spirit a lot, but I have had times where Jesus himself has come and he's very clear. Man, when you know it's him, there's just no denying it. And so that helps sometimes with this fake Jesus stuff because his presence is just, there's so much life and strength. I would say the power, like the strength that comes off of him, it's almost like, to me, in my experience, like he's as strong as a bull, like as hard as a rock, like he just, um, and it's not saying that he's like large, but there's a strength in his tenderness and in his humanity. And um, I don't want to say he doesn't puff himself up because that's not rightly said because he is light. And so that is who he is. But I think sometimes demonic spirits try to really make themselves look really big and exciting to this look I look like God and Jesus when I've really really seen him he wasn't shining he wasn't looking so great looked a little bit worse for the wear and the most exciting things have happened that changed my life one time he brought me communion and that was like really extremely special he's done some other things too and um, so I find the less flamboyant Jesus is to be more believable. Hmm. Very interesting insights. Um, I remember early on, there was actually a session that we had done where we had realized that you were tied to some kind of computer. And it you know, I know this language comes from very strange people, but it, it's just, it is just what it is. Um, there are ways that they uplink people's consciousness to computers. They also have internal computers that they program into survivors. And so we were dealing with something. And um, we saw a version of Nikki that had um, her eyes were like spirals. And we had to separate her from the computer. But we wanted to get the information from the computer that it wouldn't be lost because we knew it would be relevant at some point in the future. So we asked Jesus to come and take that information. Well, guess who shows up? A fake Jesus tries to come and take that information away. It's a demon. And after he came up, we uh, figured it out, dealt with him. And then another fake Jesus showed up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and then we ended up dealing with some Ascended Masters later that day. But, like, you know, Nikki, it, it's, just, it's just amazing how tricky the whole process of healing and deep programming can be. It's literally layered with landmines. Oh, yeah. Discernment is, like, critical. Discernment. Without discernment, you're completely hosed. I mean, you really have to have discernment because things are not necessarily what they seem and if you take it at face value you could get way off track um and it's tedious 
because of that, because you go, is this really a tree or is this really a road? I mean, it's terrible that you have to be that picky, but it can be arduous. You know, it really can. And discernment, I'm telling you, I'm thankful, Daniel, for the discernment that you have because, frankly, if someone doesn't have a gift of discernment, they don't get real far in helping people. doesn't mean their heart is not in the right place, and God bless them, but I think it's a specific calling and if you're calling, you will be gifted. And if you're not gifted with certain things, you're not going to be very effective, even with all the heart in the world. Mm. hope that doesn't sound too cold, but it's from what I've seen, it's true. Now, Nikki, getting into some of the other things that you have seen, um, you've been taken to places underground and seen things in cages. Uh, what's that been like from your perspective? Well, again, that went back to when I was like seven, and um, I would go there with some other children. Um, we would always go on a little train car, and um, the train car kind of looked like something you would see um, in, it was more like a roller coaster ride, so they're just like little simple cars that they didn't have like a roof or anything like that, it wasn't some sort of hyperspeed train or whatever. Um, and we would, I don't, I have no idea how I got to this place, but it was already somewhat underground because it was all concrete and, um, we'd get in these cars and then go through these tunnels to go to wherever and then come out into this area. Everything was concrete. The stairs were all like grated metal, um, you know, that are, that is, um, like industrial. Um, I can remember like the rooms all had glass across them so they could be kind of observed well I shouldn't say all rooms because I didn't go everywhere but there were many rooms who had that so that you could actually observe in there um, I can remember a room that was just full of all different types of exotic creatures they had like a tiger different fish species um, all different kinds of stuff in there and I don't know what they did with it I did not see any of these animals uh, being harmed, nor did I see like um, hybrids of these animals. I don't know if that was the goal for these animals. Um, it wasn't a petting zoo, so I know they weren't there just so we could look at them and go, well, isn't that nice? So, you know, there could be more there to the story that, you know, I'm not aware of currently or whatever, but there were exotic animals there. And there was this one room, and I've looked online forever to figure out what this was. There's a man in there with a clipboard, and there was this tall, Poll. And normally I do not ask for emails because I get $100 billion. But if someone has this answer, I would love to hear it. There was a very tall pole. And it was about as big around as maybe a telephone pole. And it had like these wires that wrapped around it. It reminded me the wires went around it like the colors go around a barber pole. Okay, And it had little nodules on it at different places where the wires attached. And there was a man there with the lab coat who was taking notes on this thing. And it, it was on a platform, and it looked to be maybe, again, this is coming from a six-year-old's perspective, but maybe about 15 feet high. I don't know. It had to be some sort of conductor or something, but it was significant. So if anybody knows what that is, I would love to hear. But if you don't know what it is, I, I'm not really, I don't have the energy to brainstorm, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, there, that was in there and I liked going there. I liked being there and I wanted to succeed because 
succeeding gets rewards. You don't want to fail. And at, at this particular place, it didn't seem quite as, at least at this particular place within the place, as harmful as it was learning. And if you wanted to learn, they wanted to fill you with as much information as they could. I don't know why or what it is, um, but I kind of, uh, it was fearful, but I liked it. And I think it was some, I feel like it was somewhere in Arizona. I can't say for sure. I don't know. Hmm. But I know uh, one time I had a really scary flashback when I was about 32 and I woke up and it took me a while to realize that this was not reality. And I, I ground myself rather quickly and easily and I was on my bed hovered in the corner and there were these two men outside my room they were there to pick me up they were taking me on a helicopter um, and we were going to um, Scottsdale, Arizona and I knew it was Scottsdale and I just did not want to go I was absolutely panic stricken couldn't ground myself Um, I could hear my roommate snoring so I was telling myself if she's snoring then those men can't be out there and I could you know it was so, I, it, man, it took me a bit to come out of it and get grounded, but I got some other memories about things that happened when I went to Scottsdale, which I'm assuming when I went to Scottsdale that, and I don't know how old I was when they came to get me. I was not 32. I was remembering it. I was younger. But um, one of the things was there was a man talking about aliens. Um, I don't know what he was saying. Um, also... This was something interesting. Um, I I was playing the piano, and um, I don't play the piano, and but I was playing the piano, and they were putting this onto tapes. So this is you know going back a bit, cassette tapes, and it had like coded messages in it um, to take to other people. So it was something simple. Um, It was something to where if someone lost it, it wasn't like you know you know, A equals this, you know, E equals this, and, you know, anything where you could take and decode it. Um, It was done in such a way that it really couldn't be decoded, and if someone found it, they'd go, oh, this sounds like crap, and they'd throw it out. It sounds like maybe a kid made it. Um, But the purpose was to send it to the person that it belonged to, and they listened to it, and they had the you know, the key for listening, by the key I don't mean the note, I mean they had the the key to listen to what the patterns were or whatever it was that they would know and it would be about where maybe a weapons cache was or where a human trafficking exchange would be or whatever. And so it was just a safe way to send information. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, Nikki, uh, in our last interview that we did, people really got to see a person who has had a lot of very crystal clear engagements with the spirit realm. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, and, and the way that you were describing things, traveling, you know, we went through what we called your astral 20s. Um, are we suggesting that people should astral project? No, folks, uh, we're talking about a person that is on a healing journey from things 
that mm -hmm. they were, you know, walked into, so to speak. And I, uh, but for uh, what you have seen and experienced, there's a lot of revelation and lessons to take away from that and without a question. Now, when it comes to some of the things that you have seen in the spirit, I mean, you, you really have seen a lot. And, and I think a lot of it pulls on natural God-given gifts. You know, there really is a gift of the spirit called the discerning of spirits. It allows people through the Holy Spirit to see uh, what is of God, the angelic realm, the demonic realm, the human spirit realm, the whole thing. It, it's all included in that. There's a discerning of that. Now, you've seen a lot of things in the spirit, Nikki, and, and I want to get into some of this because this conversation helps people. It really does help people to understand, you know, why certain things are in the Bible the way they are, why certain things happen in life the way they do. Let me Let me start with this. There was a certain church that you saw in the spirit and you you know and you're seeing what's going on in the spirit it involved the gargoyle um mm -hmm. well, can you talk about that a little bit yeah um this church is um an anglican church and um, it's in a very wealthy community up here where i live and it has a high tower and it's all made of like stone i mean this is a really like gothic looking building and um large and i just happened to be going down the street and you know just kind of looked up i mean i wasn't looking for anything i wasn't trying and way up on top of this pedestal was this huge purple gargoyle and the interesting thing is is he really kind of looks like the way people draw them like i don't know if anybody remembers the gargoyle cartoon back in the day i used to watch that but they had the gargoyles on it it looked like that so he was kind of purplish color he was sitting up on top and kind of sitting like a dog would sit where its haunches are up and its feet are pointed down, kind of like that. Um, it, it was uh, hairless. It didn't have any hair on it. had a couple pointed ears. It had um, a wide mouth with, like, a couple, like, tusks on the bottom. Um, it looked to be about the size. Now, it's hard to gauge because, you know, this tower is quite tall. And I was away from the tower as well because I was on the street, and this is built off of the street. You know, I was probably, you know, um, you know, at least 50 yards away from the building. Um, so, and then it was probably four stories, five stories tall. So, you know, this is kind of the direction. But this thing was like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, I would say. I don't know how big it is if somebody was standing up on top of that thing, but... I'm guessing this thing had to be the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, uh, Beetle, maybe even a, you know, a Volkswagen bus. I don't know, but it was sitting up there, and I saw it, and it wasn't see-through. This was one of those things where, like, if it was close enough, I really feel like I could have put my finger on it and actually touched it. It wasn't hollow, um, and I was like, whoa, and I'm like, I see you, you know. Usually, I try to make contact, like, let them know, hey, I know you're there, you know. I don't like anybody sneaking up on me. And he didn't pay any attention to me, and he didn't even act like he noticed me. And um, I told the Lord, God, I'm going to rebuke him. And God told me no. He said, he is the spirit of that church, and that's where he belongs. I'm like, yeah, you know, he said, leave him alone. So I remember watching the whole way the car went. Just He never faded out of my sight. I never saw him again after that. I actually went and looked. He even went and looked hard, mm, you know, trying, mm, you know, I can't see it. 
But um, that church, he was the spirit of that church, and that's what they wanted, and that's what the Lord gave them. And so um, it wasn't to be torn down. It was their free will. It was their choice. And I will tell you that it was not a spirit of God that rules over that building and mm. that church. Mm, mm, mm. <sighs> um, I want to jump in here and, and share a couple things, Nikki, because this is this is real. See, people think that a church building is simply the house of God. Okay. First of all, the house of God is his people. Um, the building is simply the roof over their heads. And um, not that there's anything wrong with a church building. It'd be nice if we had one. We don't. <laughs> we have a computer <laughs> network, <laughs> and we call it the Fireplace Church, right? But, um, you know there can be spirits that are literally placed over buildings and uh, groups that gather. I've seen this a lot, Nikki. And so let me just substantiate your, your testimony with some things that the Lord has shown me personally. There was a season in my life back in 2013 where God, he essentially commissioned me during my prayer time. He said, Daniel, I want you to do this thing. I want you to drive around your community where you live. And I want you to go to, you know, all the churches in the area. And um, you go, you drive your car, you're going to sit in their parking lot. You're going to pray, and I'm going to talk to you about those churches. Mm. And there was only one church of the whole batch that God actually had me go into and talk to anyone. And that was what confirmed the rest of the exercise. But really, the exercise was more of an exercise in God showing me who I was uh, more than anything else. Because he wanted to show me that, you know, I can show you things, Daniel. You, you can see in the Spirit. I can reveal things to you. And um, so I began to do that. I said, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And so after I get done with the job I was working at the time, um, I would drive to like two, one, two, maybe three churches every evening. Sit in their parking lot for an amount of time until I heard what God was saying about that place. Well, I, I actually pulled up the document that I wrote when I did this exercise and I have it in front of me. And, and, you know, these are some of the things that I was writing about when I was in the parking lots of these churches. There was one place I went, and it was like, this church is an empty shell, a club that gathers around religion and tradition. Like, that's what God told me, you know. And um, then I would get a sense. I, I would see things in the spirit here in this particular one. What I saw was a spiritual void. And I, I was beginning to perceive in the spirit what looked like a spirit of emptiness. And it looked like a black net with red eyes. The black net had a function in the spirit, and its function was to drain the environment of all oh. spiritual activity at all, making the place extremely empty. You see, all these things, they're like spiritual realities, but you walk into an environment, you might just know, oh, this place seems kind of dry. You don't, but see, God was showing me the spiritual environment. It's like you saw it. There was another place I went, and... um it was like I saw, you know, uh, a slimy spirit in that place. And the slimy spirit was there on assignment to drain passion. And there was a dark spirit that functioned as an overlord for this other church. 
and maintained and created a ceiling in the spirit realm to the church. So it's like, it's, there's not going to be any impact. And I saw it. And then with that, we even took it a step further. I saw it connected in, in like a web of dark spiritual activity um, that touched other churches in the area. It's like, so I'm beginning to see in the spirit realm how this thing works. There's a lot going on in the spirit. People, they just don't see. Mm-hmm. And it impacts people who, who subject themselves to, and I would just call it like this. Um, congregations that God did not ordain them to participate in. You know, uh, I suggest that people are led. I, I believe in going to church. I believe in being part of a community. I just be part of the community that God tells you to. Because the wrong community may not be God uh, honoring at all. It might be running under a different spirit. Um, anyway... Uh, there's a lot of things that you've seen in the spirit realm, Nikki. Uh, what, when you pray for people, you will often see things as well, things going on in the spirit. What, why don't you give us a couple um, examples of how things going on in the spirit affect individuals and how you've seen ministry take place? Sure. Um, and, you know, certainly feel free to cut me off if it gets long because I don't time myself, but if I get involved and I'm invested in what I call looking at somebody, I mean, hours can go by. You know, because, so I won't, I'll have to make something up, but like, let's just say I feel led to pray for a particular person. And so, you know, I will, I'm usually, it's it's at night, and I'm usually laying in bed and I'm thinking, and so I think on the person, I ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything you want to show me about this person? And now I can see this person. Now, I have not astrally projected into their room, so when I see them, um, I don't see them sitting at their computer desk or laying in their bed or, you know, watching TV. I just see them as a person. And I will begin to look them over. And um, sometimes I may see a couple spirits standing around that person. And so I will ask those spirits, who are you? You know, sometimes they answer, sometimes they don't. I'll ask the Lord, who is that? And the Lord may say that so-and-so. And um, I'll say, ask God, well, why does this person have a right to be here? And um, God will tell me, so I'll ask that spirit, why are you here? Well, I'm here because of blah, blah, blah. So they ask God, God, how do you want to handle this? And then he might say, well, I want to remove him. So I find out where he is attached and, you know, we remove him. There have been times where there are some other things watching. Um, I can remember seeing this one thing. He looked like an incredible hawk, but he was like... uh, he had like white skin, like a Caucasian person's skin, but he was big, like the Incredible Hulk. He looked harmless. I don't know what he was. He was standing there watching this person that I was ministering to. And I'm like, God, what about him? You know, and God's like, leave him alone. And I, God very clearly said, leave him alone. I thought, well, he's big and he looks kind of scary. He wasn't doing anything, but maybe he was just watching. And I think that there are lessons to be learned in the spirit. And who knows what that thing was, but I find that I don't just willy-nilly start attacking and chopping things just because it's there and it looks funny. I really ask God what to do. But So I'm looking at someone, and one person I saw, for example, she had a tree growing on the top of her head. I'm like, well, what is that, God? What is a tree on her head? And so I look down at the root, how deep do the roots go? And so I look, and 
Um, you know, maybe there's a root that goes over and it's attached to her right ear. And it's like, okay, well, maybe does she have a hearing problem? You know, uh, remove that. Um, and then see there's seeds dropping within her. It's going deeper. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm making this up. I'm not doing a very good job of it. But the the thing is there's a lot of symbolism that actually happens when I see people. They'll have a maybe a black cord on them. Um, a lot of things that spiritual attachments, these little things, they kind of look like leeches, and they just kind of hang off the side of the body and kind of flap in the wind. They're like little flags. And I've seen those, and those are usually – spiritual attachments where there has been like an open door and there might be like a sickness. So if you have them all up and down your leg, you probably have something wrong with your leg. Um, but yeah, I'll go and remove them. I will, you know, find out why they're there, talk to God, talk to the spirit, talk to the person, pray a blessing over them. Uh, sometimes the people will change shape. They'll, I've had people light on fire. Um, it's like, well, should I put it out or you want them to burn? You know, because maybe God wants to burn away something or maybe they're being attacked. I mean, I don't know. So I always seek the Lord, you know, let them burn. It's like, well, okay. And I had one time God told me to put oil on them. I'm like, that's going to make it burn worse. And I'm like, well, okay. And the Lord had a plan. So I always just ask him uh, first and I just take it step by step and deal with each thing I see. And um, the Lord gives discernment about what those things represent that I'm looking at. And I'll tell you, there was one man that I wanted to pray for, and I went and I looked at him, and he had a big big black dog next to him, and I believe it was Anubis, who was the Egyptian uh, dog, God. And um, the Lord said, walk away, and do not pray for this man. And I'm like, okay. And I kind of walked away backwards so that I could keep my eye on that thing because I knew if I said, no, God, it's in my heart to pray for him, I'm going to do this, that I would have been attacked. I'm not saying it would have killed me, but I would have been attacked. God did not tell me to go there. He told me to leave. And so if I go there, I'm going under my own authority. I'm not going under the authority of the Most High. And if I want to work under my own authority and fight against a God, of course, the God with a small g, but he's still a God, then I need to be prepared to take a beating. So, you know, we don't just go, well, I just want to go there and I got a gift. I'm going to do it. It's like, find out if God said to go there first. That's really important. Uh, there's certainly levels of authority in the spirit realm. Um, we see that play out all the time. And, uh, you know, Nikki, you bring up such a, a good point as, as you're talking about this. And this is something I think, you know, just by virtue of who you are, where you come from, you know, as, you, as you've approached God and desired to be used by God in, in, in order to execute kingdom purpose, you know, pray for people, help people um, in Jesus' name. God has been able to leverage your gift in ways that, you know, allow you to minister in in a great deal of specificity now a while back you know i now this is my own journey right i had to you know get acclimated to the gifts of the spirit and and in, in my case it was like they they got added like i i even remember like certain points where i would write in my journal uh, today i received the gift of whatever have you but i wouldn't mm -hmm. really see it begin to manifest for months it's like i would receive it but it's like man you're talking like a little drop it's not really and and it, so i just can continue to believe and 
and apply faith and and it's like that gift begins to grow and develop and and so as um as i grew specifically in a gift of like word of knowledge um the ability to know what god knows about things or events or whatever that you you know you couldn't know in your natural mind and and the discerning of spirits i began to learn that you know you can get information and some people, when they begin to walk out into like that that realm of operating in gifts and moving in the supernatural, they 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 you know God will show them something. Like they'll see a person and they're in a a glass box. It's like, huh? And they'll say, well, I hear the Lord uh, saying that you've been trapped, and I see you inside of a glass box. And they stop. Next, and you're like, huh? Well, that stinks, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, you know, you got maybe you got an accurate word. I'm in a glass box, but there's what? Where's the redemption there? What's the solution there? And I, I've seen people that move into prophetic that kind of operate this way. <laughs> they just like call it out. And oh, it's like, I can't stand that. That's awful. Oh, this is, and that's a great example, Daniel. That's actually a great example where you could put together a scenario of how you'd handle it. So you go and you look at it and you say, okay, what are we going to do about this? What does it turn into? I mean, all kinds of stuff and things, you know, shift and morph and whatever happens. That that one could definitely happen. And how sad to say, by the way, you're in a glass box. Good luck to you. That's really crummy. <laughs> I mean, that's really crummy. Right. By the well, way, no, you got a snake on this, your back and it's eating your head. Have a nice day. This, and, and this is the reality, though. Um, you know, some people, they see a, a negative about a person or what they're going through in the spirit. And they just, up. Oh, you know, there's that negative. I see mm-hmm. that negative or I see that problem. Next. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what Jesus did, right? He cleansed the lepers. He healed the sick. He didn't just look at the problem. He addressed the problem. Um, and what we, what, what I, be, I learned early on, and, and I, you know, as I've gone worked with survivors, I mean, we just, this is how it works. We identify something in the spirit realm, like a problem. Maybe the person has been placed or a part of them has been placed in like a glass box prison. And so I'm looking at it. They're in there. Well, I'm not just going to say, well, it looks like one of your parts is in a glass box. Praise the Lord for revelation. We're going to get them out of the box. They don't need to be in there. What are they doing in there? They're trapped. But the Bible says that God came to open the prison doors to them which are bound. So you begin to deal with the spirit realm with your, well, and I do it with my words. Um, I speak the word of God and I use the tools and weapons of the spirit. So I'll take my sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'll shatter the glass that is the prison um, that the person is trapped in. Or I'll have one of the angels take some kind of uh, sharp object and cut a hole in the glass and remove the person from that confinement. You see, when, when you begin to engage the spirit realm out of revelation, revelatory realms, gifts, it's for a purpose. And God kind of just naturally walked in. That's why I find it so fascinating talking with you. You know, it's like God naturally walked you out into that. It's just like you just kind of began to do it with God. It's like, okay, God, what do I do about this? What do I do about that? You're not just looking at it and telling people bad news. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's all redemptive. It's for a purpose. And, and not always do you see something that you can do something about. Um, and yes, you know, because you're the way you work, it's just kind of off the charts, folks. I mean, I'm just going to be honest, Nikki. <laughs> she is something else but 
um, you know, it's for me. It is always a purpose. If God's going to take time to point something out to me in the spirit, then I'm going to use the word of God, use the weapons of my warfare and resolve the problem in the spirit to bring redemption and healing, freedom and liberty, deliverance in Jesus' name. Um, yeah, was there more you wanted to add, Nikki? No, I like what you said, Daniel. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is um, I've done some of this face-to-face, but most of it's done just praying with someone on my own, and then I just call them later and just tell them the whole scenario. It started like this and blah, 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 and it ended here. And sometimes it ends with then knowing this is what your issue is, this is the door that needs to be closed, or this is the so-and-so who is attached to you. But usually it's not done face-to-face. I just It's just done through prayer and I just call them and then tell them later. Or they'll ask me, can you look at me, Nick, and tell me I'm stuck? And so I'll do that. Mm, 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 mm. So I've, I've got a list. I'm a little bit behind. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's just wonderful. And, and uh, you know, folks, um, as you're hearing us talk about it, please be gentle, okay? So like, Oh, Daniel has a, an administrative assistant who is awesome. Let me tell her all my problems so she can pray like that for me. Like, well, guys. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> um, okay. Be gentle. Now, there's another subject I want to talk about here. This is really interesting. We, we, we spent some time talking about this. Strong thoughts and desires can be detected in the spirit realm. And people walk mm-hmm. around uh, generating strong thoughts and an atmosphere around them of anger or lust or depression. Now, how, you, you actually have a sensitivity to this. So I'm going to let you talk about it, um, some of the things that you've seen and, and why this conversation matters. Well, I think, well, for me, for one, it's been a safety mechanism because if there's anyone who is you know, kind of dangerous, I can sense them, you know, three aisles away and whatever, and I'll go over there and look and be like, hmm, you know, I can feel it, you know, like you said, like my spidey senses or whatever, it's like I can really feel that something is wrong over there, doesn't always manifest, but I know that I need to get going, but the the strongest things in depression, that is also a strong one, but the loudest um, sounds in terms of energy are hatred, fear, and love. Lust is very big as well. So like if there is someone who is projecting a lot of lust next to me, I I can actually kind of hear it. I'm not looking, but I will, it'll get my attention. It's almost like I have an antenna up and they're being so loud, you know, because the energy of it is so loud that my antenna, my antenna picks it up and then I'll get images. Um, And it can be, it could even be something that they're planning to do or that they have done it kind of airs their dirty laundry is just because their energy is so loud. So I don't go around trying in any way trying to dig into someone's mind. Um, I find myself just sitting here and all of a sudden, boom, and I go, what's that? And I look and then I'm aware of it. And um, like I said, it's usually rage, hatred, fear is very, very loud. Um, 
and um you know or love love is very very loud and um, of course that's the language of god it would be very loud it it, it you know it, it all of creation he built with love right so of course that's going to be very loud um but it all puts out energy and then so if you were a person i I, I described to somebody one time that all people, um, well, if you're whole, you don't have these portals. But if you are not whole, and I'm speaking of a different type of portal here, but if you um, are not whole, you have these little, like, um, sockets in your body. So if you imagine just a light socket. And um, your socket um, is based on whatever your weakness is. Maybe it is rage. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's fear, whatever it is. And so spirits who happen to be coming by, they actually are, are plugs. You know, they are plugs. If you imagine, you know, them flying around and they have plugs on their nose and they're sniffing. They go, oh, fear person. And so they come in and they plug right in and they hook into you. And then you get to feed, they feed your fear, okay, and tell you that it's all true. Okay, you have a hole there and they're able to fill you full of more fear and then you get fearful and then they feed off of that, and it becomes a symbiotic relationship. And so myself included, I don't know many people in the world who hasn't at least at some point had a socket for something. But, you know, if there's a spirit coming by and it's a sexual spirit and the only thing you have going on is fear, it's really going to come flying by because it's going to try to plug into you and poke around. And if that's just not your thing, it's not going to stick around. So, But as long as you have those openings, um, spirits who feed on that will find you and they will attach to you. And then they'll be like a leech. They'll feed off of you and you will feed off of them. When but, you, oh, and that's so, so accurate, <laughs> Nikki. It's so accurate because this is the thing, right? The Bible says, be not conformed to this image of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a reason why the Bible has this teaching in it to cast down the vain imaginations, to um, allow God to transform our mind and our thinking beyond physiological implications you know that you know the chemicals that a person is releasing in their body dopamine levels different things that can be affected by thoughts apparently um there's this component too and and it's like there's a reason why the bible says it you know well we we don't dwell upon these kinds of things we, we have to allow god to transform our thinking why because that allows us to change the atmosphere we're generating so the spirits aren't attempting to attach themselves to, you know, a lot of people, they think that, you know, any kind of demonization is where it's a full-blown demon has to be inside the person talking with a different voice. Well, this is, this is Hollywood. Right. Demonization is when spirits are attaching to a person because there are open doors or sockets. They leech. They uh, make themselves a person's companion. They enhance them in certain activities. You know, lust spirits will enhance the environment of lustful activity when it begins to take place. It, they'll charge it. It's, it's just, the relationship does become symbiotic. It's like I'm okay. pulling on your energy and you, you know, you're pulling on mine and we're generating this. And, and it's like um, it just keeps strengthening the bond, which is why 
uh, I mean, what you're talking about is so relevant. We're talking about mm-hmm. real life. Right. It's important. Wow. Um, I want to, I want to, uh, kind of close with this, this conversation on authority against spirits we're in agreement with. Um, Nikki, what do you think about trying to deal with spirits, evil spirits that a person is in agreement with? Do you believe there's authority there to do it? No, no, I don't. And that has come up for me. I can remember one time. I was uh, praying for someone. I was actually making headway, and I was doing pretty well. And I was like, yeah. And then, um, again, it was one of those where I was doing it at night and uh, ministering to someone. And it came down to, at some point, there was a spirit of hatred that was attached there. And I could not um, bind it. I could not remove it. I could not, there wasn't anything I could do about it. And I'm like, what is this about? And God told me that, uh, no, it wasn't hatred, it was murder. I don't know what word I used, but it was murder. And he said that you, meaning me, are in agreement with the spirit of murder. And as long as you're in agreement with that spirit, you will have no authority over that spirit. And I was like, that was so humbling, and I felt so sad. I mean, it was like, you know, I, I of course, as a Christian, and I can speak for myself as a believer, I want to be better you know, because I want to please God and, you know, I don't want to have murder in my heart. I mean, who wants to say that they have that? Um, but sometimes I can actually live with that stuff going, well, you know, that's a terrible thing to say, but I can become a little apathetic to some of my hang-ups. But when I find that it's harming someone else, then it's really humbling. And it's like, oh, my goodness, I am not effective in the kingdom of God if I hold on to this murder. And it's like, okay, I want free of God. You know, I want free of this murder because that means... I can't set anybody free from murder. And someone could say, yeah, but it's not you, it's God. And it's like, I know it's God, but God uses his vessels and his people. And so if I am presented with someone who needs healing and I am in agreement with the enemy of their soul, then I have no authority to cast him out. So we need to make sure, we need to check our hearts, and I'm talking to myself, check our hearts and um, get clean. And then... You know, it's hard to have all of your ways perfect, so just know, I mean, and I'm not trying to be funny, but, you know, if you're not whole in all your ways, then just focus in ways that you are. Like, you know, um, I am not an alcoholic, you know. Um, I would have no problem, you know, going into a bar and ministering to people who have alcoholism. I mean, if that was something God called me to, it's not going to trip me up. You know, that's a little bit different than the example I I gave before, but it's still about know what your weaknesses are and um, ask the Lord to strengthen you and build you up where you're weak. Um, But also don't put that other person at risk because if you go in there and go, oh, yeah, you you just have a strong will. I'm not going to let you get the best of me. Then you have pride, and I promise you, you will fall on your face and you will be attacked. I one time, I don't know what precipitated it, but I was attacked by these ravens that were just pecking me to death, and I was running. I couldn't cover myself from them. They were pecking me. I was like, God, help me. Nothing was, I couldn't, with all of my own ability was, to cover myself. What Was this in the spirit or in the natural? This was in the spirit. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, not in real life. This okay. was in the spirit. But they were getting me in good, Daniel. I mean, they were mm. pecking the living daylights out of me, oh big ravens. Mm. And um, I tried everything I could in my own ability, and I have a lot of ability just by myself to do whatever to block, and I could not. I, I actually 
considered laying down and dying. I was like, okay, screw it. I, I lay there. So I'm just, guess I'm just going to die. Okay. And, um, I don't know how the Lord redeemed me, but he did. And I don't know what I did to bring it on, but I have a feeling I was, um, biting off more than I could chew. And it, as far as I'm concerned, I strongly believe that the only thing that is bigger than what you can chew is something that's bigger than what God has called you to. Because if God has told you to stand on the highest mountain and commanded to fall into the sea, then it will fall into the sea. But if you go up on a little hill and God has not called you to that hill, but you decide in yourself that that hill is going down, good luck. You're probably going to trip and roll down that hill. So know what God has called you to don't be afraid to go where he tells you, and at the same time, don't go somewhere just because you have a hankering. And don't forget the seven sons of Sceva. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Well, you know, that, that, that's, 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 that's a really good word, Nikki. Um, folks, I, we've been talking with my administrative assistant. Nikki is a survivor. She's amazing. She's an overcomer. She's a champ. And um, Nikki, I just want to say I'm I'm just so grateful for you. I believe in you. I um, admire your courage to continue to press in. And uh, I know the struggles that you go through. Um, things that you know no one else is gonna know about just because it's you know you're not gonna fan all of your um, struggles and trials and personal difficulties but um you are brave and you know what I, I i believe in god's call on your life and even just doing this hanging out with me and uh people are going to be impacted and affected and so you know i just bless you in jesus name and folks that's it <laughs> be gentle with your emails i know you're all so excited like oh nikki you said so many things let me send you a million emails and you know guys she gets a lot <laughs> please be gentle okay that's all i have to say you've been listening to discovering the truth with dan Duvall. until next time god bless and god speed discovering the truth with dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of god to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us, access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.